Hey there, it's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week, I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with Scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, on with the show. And here we are again. Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler. One thing you've noticed about this podcast, if you've listened to any at all, you have noticed that we are all about addressing difficult topics that we face on a daily basis with grace and hope. It's very easy to get lost in the complexity. Something can happen in our lives and we just don't know what to do about it. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to speak peace into the pain or bring clarity to the confusion that we're experiencing. Today, I want to talk about how to talk about difficult things. Matt was a sophomore in college when his friend had a heart attack playing soccer. At 19, he sat at his friend's bedside praying for him, but knowing that he would die. In that moment, something happened to Matt. He experienced hope and joy as he was being there for his friend. He would later ask a mentor, help me understand, why did I enjoy that? What, what was going on there? And his mentor said, you were acting in your calling. Today, I'm joined by Matt Popovitz. He's a pastor, speaker, and podcaster, and overall man about town. Matt, welcome to the MercyCast. Thank you, Raleigh. It's an honor to be here. You're there with a friend and things are dark. It's not an easy moment. And you're not trying to fix anything, but you're bringing comfort. Tell me a little bit more about what was happening in those last moments. Yeah, you know, my, my friends and I in college at the time, we were all in, deeply involved in a, in a college Bible study led by my pastor's wife, who, as you mentioned, was a profound mentor to me at that stage of life, kind of early adulthood. And we were all very involved in our church as well. And when we got word that, that our mutual friend, Josh, who we'd all gone to high school with and grown up with, and I had been catechized with and went to Sunday school with for, for, for years and years, when we got word that he was near death, of course, you know, tragic news, we were all shook by that. But my pastor's first instinct was to grab a couple of us, myself included, and, and take us to the hospital for that pastoral care call that he did, really to walk Josh's family through through his passing. And I, I, don't know, I don't know why he thought it best to, to grab a couple 18, 19-year-olds, but he did. And, and he, he brought us up to, to Josh's room where Josh was on life support. And uh, he just encouraged us to pray over Josh and then to minister to our other high school, college friends who were walking in the room to, to say their goodbyes. And I just never been in that kind of situation before where I was, I was there to, to offer any kind of pastoral comforting presence in the midst of tragedy and pain. And and it was, of course, heartbreaking. But there was something inside of me that, that really kind of came alive in that moment. And, and it might sound crass or cold to say, but even as I was mourning the imminent passing of my friend, I really did find a sense of joy in, in trying to offer that presence and speak some of that peace into such pain and difficulty. And, and as you mentioned, I, I, I spoke to my mentor afterward and I said, why? why? I feel so torn. I'm so sad at the loss of my friend, but I don't know what to do with this fact that I really 
I really felt a sense of God's presence and, and a sense of joy in speaking truth and being present in the middle of all that. What is this all about? And, and she, she just looked at me and she said, that's what it feels like to live within your purpose. And I kid you not, the very next day, I met, met with my pastor and said, look, I need to consider going into vocational ministry and, and doing more of this because I feel like this is a calling on my life. And, and, and then since then, now as a, as a pastor, I've, I've found myself in those scenarios of being at the bedside of someone or, or having a front row seat to someone's difficult moment and being able to be present with them and speak peace and encouragement to them in the midst of that over and over and over again. And while I don't necessarily enjoy that, I do find a sense of real purpose and confidence in my calling that I'm supposed to be doing that. You know, it's interesting. So many of us think that our callings must emanate from a mountaintop experience where mm. everything is going our way and then suddenly we know. We know exactly what we're going to do. We have our purpose. We tap into it and then we live our best life. You know, we do this thinking that that's the way to do it. But what I've found is oftentimes our purpose is found in the valley. Our purpose is found in the difficulty. And you really illustrate that well, saying that in that moment, you, you felt a little hope, you felt a flicker of joy, and someone was there to guide you. How would you shepherd or point people who were going through their own difficulties to find their purpose? Yeah, I think, you know, there's that old phrase, you know, God's office is at the end of your rope. And mm -hmm. whether you're the one going through the horrendous difficulty, or you are you are feel like you feel like you're being stretched to the end of your limits because you're walking with someone through maybe their greatest difficulty. It's in those moments of supreme weakness where if if we open our eyes and we open our ears, so to speak, and and we listen for for God, we we can hear Him speak in ways in which we simply can't when life is good. And so, you know, my my word of encouragement to those who feel stretched as they try to maybe love or serve somebody who's in in a difficult moment. And even to those who are going through the valley themselves, personally, it's their valley, right? One of my simple encouragements is often just, just listen. What is the Lord saying? What is the Lord trying to do? What is he up to in this? Not just through me, but for me in this. Yeah. Because there are things to receive. There are lessons to learn. God is at work in profound ways, especially in our weakness. And so my encouragement is just to be curious in those times about what is God teaching me? What is God showing me? What is he revealing to me in and through my weakness? C.S. Lewis said that it's our pain that God uses as a megaphone to speak to us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really connect with your story because for me, my calling into the anti-trafficking world and to helping churches care for their most vulnerable neighbor came when one of my very close friends in seminary found out he was dying of cancer. And I spent the last five days with him. And I just remember not understanding what to do. I was just present. And so many things in my life were in transition. My job was going away. I was in a relationship that had just ended. I didn't really have anything that I could tether myself to. Yeah. And I remember just praying that night saying, God, I'm tired of running. If you are calling me to New York City to fight human trafficking, even though I really don't know what that means, then I'll go. If that means I have to raise support, I'm scared to death to do that, but I'll do it. I'm ready. It was like my hands had been pried open in the most gracious way possible. It wasn't yeah. forceful, but it was this moment where I think I had nowhere else to go but up. And mm -hmm. I was like, God, I'm ready. I'd sell everything I owned. And next thing I know, I'm in New York and 
yeah, my life went down a very different path that I would have never imagined, but it was yeah. really honed in that, that pain point that mm-hmm. I was going through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you make a good point, Raleigh, in that, you know, you, you mentioned just being present with people and just listening to people. And, you know, even though we're going to talk about, you know, in this conversation about, you know, speaking clarity or bringing clarity in difficult times or speaking truth in difficult times, very often what we're called to do, if we are the one to offer any kind of helpful presence to others who are going through difficulty, very often what we're called to do the most is to do nothing but be present. To just be incarnational in that sense, to yeah. use, you know, a Christian term, you know, God, just the, the, the primary thing that God did in, in Christ is just come to be with us, to dwell with us and to tabernacle, set up his residence in our neighborhood. And that's 99% of being truly helpful to people who are going through difficult things is to just show up and by the virtue of your presence, let them know that, that, they're, that they matter, that they're seen and that they're not alone. And that's one of the primary tools in my pastoral toolkit is to just show up and to shut my mouth and to just be present and to just let people not be alone in whatever they're going through. I had a professor once tell me, he said, you know, in the book of Job, you see Job's friends at the very beginning. And you know what? At the very beginning, they get it right. Yeah. They don't say anything. They just mourn with him. Yeah. This reminds us of the New Testament where we hear that we are called to mourn with those who mourn. You know, there's this beauty in the simplicity of just meeting someone where they are and experiencing what they're experiencing with them, going through that adversity with them so they're not alone. But then Job's friends just started talking and coming up with all their things and saying all sorts of things and making things worse. And I found that when I go through difficult times, like there are really well-meaning people who will just sit there with me in it. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who are like, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I'm like, not helpful. You know, (laughs) I don't need this right now. Don't give me answers when I just want to ask questions. You know, it's like, just be there. And so you really help people talk about these difficult topics Mm -hmm. and you help people kind of navigate that. And I love how you do it from a platform of presence because that is so important because so many people do this in a way that's transactional. They just want to fix the problem and move on to the next problem. But to be Mm -hmm. present means that you're going to be relational. To be relational means that you're carving out a significant chunk of your life to be there for that person in that moment and to not go anywhere. You are there. You are present. And so as we are learning to kind of talk about these difficult things, how would you advise us? Because it's very easy just to clam up, not say a word, freak out, get awkward, say the wrong thing. Yeah. Where do we start? Well, I think I think whether whether the the difficulty you're going to speak to is in a, like, like say what I would call a pastoral care situation where you're like literally stepping into someone's home or next to their hospital bed, or, you know, they're coming to your office with a, with an urgent need and, and, and you're there to, to kind of speak to it, quite, quite literally speak to it or care for them or counsel them. Or let's say you're a ministry leader and you're teaching or preaching. The primary thing is to make sure that your own motivations in trying to speak peace, bring clarity, be it in a counseling setting or in a preaching teaching setting, that, that your motivation is, is the right one. And, and what I mean by what, what I'm trying to get at specifically is that very often in our care, in our offering answers to difficult situations or questions or in our preaching or teaching, 
what we're actually doing is trying to deal with our own anxiety versus help somebody with theirs. And it, it takes a lot of self-awareness and a good amount of health and honesty with yourself to understand that there is a temptation when I'm sitting with somebody who's going through pain or I'm addressing a sensitive topic from the pulpit or in the classroom, that there is a temptation to respond to my own anxiety in that moment. You know, when somebody else is going through pain, it, it makes me anxious. I'm bothered by it. Maybe I have my own questions in response to it. And what I will often do is offer answers as a way of shutting down their pain in order to make my anxiety less. So really what I'm doing is trying to respond to myself by responding to them. Or I'll preach and teach in such a way that this cultural issue or this big sensitive question makes me anxious. And so I'm going to preach and teach in such a way to try and calm myself, but wrap it in the guise of actually giving truth to you. I know that can seem kind of kind of complex, but 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 really I think it's a really important thing. Am I really entering into this moment for them? Or is what I'm going to do in this moment ultimately about me? And so really checking your motives and saying, I really need to be here and respond to them, to their needs, to their questions, to their hurt. I have to sit long enough, listen long enough, relate deep enough so that I can truly understand and empathize as much as I can with the situation that they're in. And then when I do speak, I want to speak from a place of understanding and empathy to their issues, their problems, their pain, and make sure that I'm not just trying to, trying to care for myself at their expense. Because we naturally make it all about us. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, yeah. when people are going through difficult times, that that interferes with our lives, that interferes with our schedules, that kind of upsets the apple cart for us. We yeah. want everything to be peachy, even though in our lives things aren't peachy and we expect people to tend to our wounds, but we don't want to tend to other people's wounds because oftentimes they can be an imposition. Yeah. And I don't think people actually say this out loud, but that's what makes caring for vulnerable people or people experiencing very difficult things tricky at best and hard at worst. It's when they're going through it, we face kind of this idea of transference. I call it a vulnerability mirror in my book where other people's vulnerability, their anxiety, their trauma splashes against us, revealing ours. And oftentimes, if we aren't self-aware enough, we will push them away as the problem rather than recognizing that we have stuff that we're carrying that we have to at least look at and know is there so that we can enter back into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, often what I'll, I'll have to check myself against is making sure that if, as I enter into a situation, again, be it uh, a one-on-one -on -one care situation or even preparing for a sermon, that what I'm doing in my attempt to, to speak truth, to bring clarity and complexity, to bring peace into pain, that, that what I'm not doing is minimizing their problem down to a size that I can handle so that I can control it. Um, that I need to make sure that I, I let their pain be as big as their pain needs to be. I let their questions be as big and, and complex as they need to be. That, that I, don't try, I don't try to water it down or, or minimize it down to a size that I feel like I can control it or I can totally understand it. Again, if I do that, I'm making it about me. Instead, I need to just recognize their pain is huge. Their questions are so big, I probably can't answer all of them. 
if any of them, what I need to do is, is, is try to understand and discern what the real problem is that they're going through, listen a lot, learn a lot, re- try to relate as much as I can. So I speak from that, whatever common touch points I can find, I speak from those places. And I, and I just try to speak the, the, the truth of God, the peace and the promises of Jesus as succinctly and as clearly and as compellingly as I possibly can to their pain. Again, not in a way to minimize it or control it, but to give them something that can console them in the midst of it. Well, and that's something I love about basically everything that you do, whether it's your conference, VoxCon, or your podcast, Make It Simple. You are always taking complexities of life and bringing them down to something that we can all grasp. You yeah. are making it very relatable. And what I love about that is that doesn't make someone feel stupid. That doesn't make someone feel shunned. That doesn't make someone feel like they're too much in the moment. But you're trying to find those points of commonality That's right. whereby you can connect. And I love that because life is so complex. And when we're trying to answer this unbelievably, I'm, I'm picturing Goodwill hunting right now in that scene where he's, yeah. you know, he's doing his janitorial work and then he comes into the classroom and he sees this huge unsolvable problem and he fixes it and he just solves it and it's there. And they're like, who did it? And they're like, the janitor. You know, it was a great scene. Yeah. But I think that's where we find ourselves, not in the shoes of the janitor, hmm. but in the desks, in the seats where the students are, and we're looking at this problem, we don't know what to do. We can't see through the maze. And that's why we need guides who can come alongside of us and say, okay, let's break this down. Let's unpack this. And so you were there at your friend's bedside, and now you're unpacking difficult topics for people to help them. What linked those two things? I think the link between those two things, you know, that bedside as a teenager, and to, you know, the preaching and teaching today and the podcast and those kind of things today is, is really a desire to offer peace to people who are in times of pain and confusion. Because I do happen to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ that I, that I feel called to share brings clarity and confusion. It brings peace in the midst of pain. It, it is the antidote to truly what, what ails us at the deepest level as, as, as human beings. And so I believe that there's application of the implications of Jesus to just about everything. And not as a way to kind of slap Jesus onto every problem and say, well, just, you know, look to Jesus. He's, he's the solution for whatever your problem is yeah, here. Put some Jesus and, on it. You'll be all right. Again. Yeah. 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 That just does, that does disservice to both the gospel and to mm-hmm. people's pain. Right. But I do believe that there is a way to bring peace from the work of Jesus to bring clarity from the work of Jesus down into whatever somebody is wrestling with. And it takes nuance, it takes patience, it takes, it takes wisdom, it takes a whole lot of curiosity to understand where people are and to try and thread that needle and, and help forge a connection between the work of Christ and their particular problem or particular pain, their particular question. But that's what I feel called to do. And that, that was the task in some way, shape, or form at that bedside 20 plus years ago. And that's the task every Sunday morning when I get up to preach or teach. And that's the task. You know, when I, when I have a guest on a podcast and we're, we're tackling relationship issues or cultural questions, is to say, is there a connection? What is the connection between the finished work of Jesus and the question we're wrestling with, the problem that we're facing, 
the issue at hand. And so, you know, for me, that's, that's the through line in all things. And so that's, that's just what I, I, I try to do all the time. And I, I tell people that, you know, I'm, you know, theologically trained, seminary trained, but I, I didn't grow up going to Christian schools. I didn't grow up in a family of academics. I come from a, a very, very blue collar background. I was one of the first, you know, kids in my family to go to college. My parents didn't know what a credit hour was. I, I had to lean on my pastor to help me understand, help me yeah. fill out my, uh, yeah. my, my pastor was the most educated person I knew. And so I, I had to lean on him to help fill out my application for college and to understand what I should study. I was a theater arts major. And so I, I don't come from an academic background. I don't come from a background or a family of vocational ministry. And so I carry that with me too. Like I, I want to make sure that, that the way in, I try to teach the things of God or share the peace of Jesus is done in a way that, that makes sense to people like me and people who come from places where I come from, where, where they're incredibly smart people. They're incredibly wise people but they're not maybe traditional academics and they're not hyper-religious. They are, for lack of a better term, they're normal people. <laughs> and it, it needs to make sense to them. Another thing I'll say is I, I, try to do, I try to do bottom shelf theology, not bottom shelf in that it's bad, but bottom shelf in that it's accessible. You know, I, I grew up going to the grocery store where we didn't buy the cereal that was in the boxes. We bought the cereal that was in the bags. We bought the knockoff Cheerios and the knockoff Fruit Loops that came in a bag on the bottom shelf because that's what we could afford. That's what we could reach. That was what's accessible to us. I want to offer peace and insight and wisdom and encouragement in a way that's in, within arm's reach of everyday normal people who, who, need it, who need it badly. Well, yeah, because every now and then a bag of fruity dino bites are absolutely delicious. I mean, people don't know. They're not ready. They're not ready for the bagged puffed rice. They don't understand just how delicious that how can be when you want often, it to be delicious. That's right. And oftentimes it comes off the same assembly line, man. That is absolutely true. And I love that piece about accessibility and bottom shelf theology. That is so cool because yeah, you're like, it's not bad. It's not like this is Bush League. I'm not saying this is Bush League theology. I'm saying oh. this is something that you can grab. I remember a friend many years ago when I'd first gone to seminary, visited the seminary and I asked him, I said, Okay, what's your advice for me? I'm a new mm. seminary student. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to know. I don't really know how to go forward here. How would you advise me? And he said, the gospel is the gospel of the common man. It's not made for the ivory towers. You need yeah. to think through how to take the intense and glorious things that you're learning in your theological education and make them applicable for everyday blue-collar folks just like you, just like your family, because in so many ways, as you share your story, I connect with that because I think I was the first Sadler to get a master's degree. I, I don't think there's any other ones. And I was like, well, I guess I just keep going and get an education. You know, it was one of those things. And my family, they, they loved it. They were for it. They had no idea how to connect with it though. Yeah. And for me, it was this idea of kind of going away to come back so mm -hmm. that I could learn what I needed to learn and bring it back to the people that I know, to the people that I connect with, to just like, as you say, just regular folk. Because I think at the end of the day, that's where all of us are. Whether we have letters behind our names or letters in front of our names or no letters at all. Right. We're regular people in need of something that sometimes we can't articulate. And we know that ultimately that is the gospel. That is Jesus's life, death, and resurrection for us. And as this is a podcast speaking to many Christians, many of whom 
they're really looking at the way church has been done and they're asking, does this serve me? Has this served me? Hmm. Like, I want to know what is the truth? What's the real truth about Christianity that will change my life and change the lives of others? I would say that the gospel is what we're looking for, but how would you articulate the gospel for our audience? Hmm. I, I think the, the first thing I'd want to do is try to understand the person I'm talking to as much as I possibly can. You know, one of the things I was taught by some of my seminary professors that I find helpful every single day in the work that I do is they really encourage me to, to respond to just about every situation and every question with a question. And that question is, why do you want to know? Mm. So, so if I had somebody come up to me and be like, what's this Jesus thing all about? Or, you know, what, what, I've heard about the gospel. Tell me what this is. My, my response first and foremost would be not to res, recite some, some understanding of the gospel that I've memorized or I've experienced. I would ask a question, why do you want to know? Because the gospel itself, though it is unchanging, must always be contextualized. Uh, I want to know because there's a, there's a motivating factor behind that question. Uh, what's the pain that's motivating that? What's the, what's the concern, the worry, the fear that's, that's driving you to reach out to me? What, what's going on? And then when I know that, I, what I can do is I can proclaim the finished work of Jesus to that particular pain, to that particular problem. And so my, my first impulse is always to try and know the person more as a way to make the, the proclamation of the message of who Jesus is that much more relatable and understandable to them. So, so I, I would say, and this is not a cop-out, I would say it, re it really depends on who is asking and, mm, and what the motivating force good. is. But ultimately, you know, the gospel comes down to, the gospel comes down to this. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ for you. And that, that, those last two words are really important, for you and whoever you yeah. is that's listening right now. And now what do I mean about the finished work of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ living the life that you can't live. Yes. You don't meet up to your own standards, let alone yes. a holy God's standards, but, but God has come into this world and he's lived the life that you, to your own chagrin, fail to live. And then because we believe in justice and we believe in accountability, he has died the death that humanity deserves. And, and if you don't think that there, there is some accountability that's demanded for all the dysfunction in this world and also in your heart, then, then you're not looking hard enough. And, but he's been accountable for all of us. And then he's risen out of the grave, that is chasing down each and every one of us. You know, the, the biggest problem we can't solve is not nuclear war or cancer or climate change. The biggest problem we haven't been able to solve ultimately is death. We can't outrun it. But Jesus Christ has risen out of it and conquered it. And what, what the gospel is, is this life you, you can't live, this death that you deserve, this grave that you can't outrun, Jesus Christ has done all these things. And then he gives the gift of that. He gives that work to you as a gift. It is all done for you. It's finished. It's completed. It's for you. And you just receive it. And you say, this perfect life that he's lived is mine. This, this forgiving death that he has died is mine. This victory over death, this Easter morning reality is mine. It's given to me. That's the gospel. It's all done and it's all given to you. But, but now as I learn more about you, what I'm going to do is illustrate the implications of that. Try to paint the picture of the beauty of that in as specific of a way as possible so that it fills in the wounds that you have and, and speaks to the concerns that you carry. And I love that because that is relatability. That is simplicity. 
And there's such beauty in that, this idea of why do you want to know? Because you want to basically speak to that need. You don't want to give this general application or this general presentation like you would Mm -hmm. when you would give a tract, which is not personal. It's not relational. You know, I know a lot of people who use tracts and that that's great. Good on you. I, I encourage you, but remember that there is a relational element that needs to come along with that. If you just hand someone something, they're going to look at it as, oh, is this a ticket to heaven? Do I just read it? And they're going to miss that our relationship with God is at its very core, a relationship. Yeah. And being able to ask someone that question of why do you want to know and speak to them in relational terms and give them the gospel in a laser focused way to where you are going right to that need. I think that is beautiful. And I also see as we're talking how this is why simplicity and relatability is so important to you because you want to get to the very need of the person. Hmm. You don't want to just throw some common salve out there and say, Go for it. Try it. Give it a shot. You're saying, how does this apply to you? Like, Because you're, you're important and your story matters and what God right. is forming in you right now matters, not only for you and your sake, but for the sake of your community. What God mm-hmm. is doing in you will come out and impact others. And so we really want to get our finger on a pulse. And I think that is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I mean, you know, it sounds so trite to say, you know, everybody has a unique story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody has a context and you can't properly apply the truths of God or speak peace into pain or bring clarity to confusion unless you understand the context. You're going to be more of a machete than a scalpel. And, you know, applying the truths of God is at times and in many ways, uh, almost all the time, it is, you could say it's surgery, so to speak, but it's done with a scalpel. The truths of God may very well hurt, but it is all intended to heal. And because, uh, because it's all intended to help and to heal, it has to be done with, with, with clarity and precision so that it is, it is a scalpel and, and not something else that will just utterly destroy the person. So, so you, you do have to have context and you have to love the person enough to get to know them. And um, so you can speak with as much specificity and skill as you, po- as you possibly can. So, so like I, I, you know, I ascribe to the you know, the, the Ted Lasso quip of be curious. I think that's one of the most helpful pieces of advice any, anyone could ever be given. Just be curious, not judgmental. There's a time for judgment, but it's probably not the moment that you've been invited in to help and to, and to bring clarity. When you're sitting at a bedside or where you're preaching the gospel, it's, it's probably not the time to be judgmental. It's probably the time to be curious and to, to try and apply the, the comfort of God in as specific and as personal a way as possible. Theologically, I've always been impressed by the work of Mother Teresa or Henri Nouwen and Fred Rogers. Hmm. And Fred Rogers, his library consisted of the most of Nouwen's and Mother Teresa's works. He Hmm. ingested all of it. like, And he was friends with Nouwen. And so you have this kind of golden thread of vulnerable servitude, this seeing other people as you're seeing Christ, really diving into someone's issues, into their brokenness. And one of the things that Fred Rogers did that just blew my mind, I mean, I've always just looked up to him, is 
if you just watch some of these old school Mr. Rogers episodes, I mean, just go back and watch some of them. You'll see him just talking to a kid and he asks the kid a question and the kid tells him something. He goes, oh man, wow, tell me more. He is so curious. And you're watching and you're like, this is real. You can't take your eyes away because you're like, he's not doing this just for ratings. This, this might not bring the best ratings right. because his guest host is five. But this kid, he's being treasured. Yeah, He's being listened to. He's being cared for, albeit on camera. But Mr. Rogers was giving us a master class yeah. in how to help people. And I love that because as you talk about us being curious about the context, really knowing what's going on, that is so important because oftentimes when we don't do that, we face the temptation of reacting versus responding. Yeah. yeah. And our reactions are often based on us. They're based on discomfort. They're based on frustration. And really, it's not about us. It's about the person, which again, Mr. Rogers is like, hey, everyone, I'm showing you, are you listening? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think for us, many of us don't know how to do that because we're doing everything we can to keep the lights on. We're doing everything we can just to focus on our own needs while we're trying to help others. But, but that's hard when you're going through your own stuff. And so what would you say to us? We want to help people, but man, times are hard. Things are tricky. We don't know what to do. Come on. What do we do, Pastor Matt? Tell me. Well, Give me I, an answer. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a time for answers. And, and, and certainly I, you know, I, 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 try, I feel called to offer a whole lot of answers a lot of times. That's what, that's what I do in preaching and teaching in so yeah. many ways is, is offering, yeah. you know, the answer, right? But I, I have to keep in mind at all times, and I would just encourage others to keep in mind, and you were kind of hinting at this, that more often than not, what communicates compassion is not a statement, but a question. We tend to think that statements, answers, so to speak, are a prime tool for communicating compassion. You know, saying, this too shall pass. It's, it's going to get better, or it's not as bad as you think. Th these, are all, these are all statements. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. Very often in, in the heart of the person who's hurting or the person who's coming to you with the complexity, your statement doesn't communicate compassion. It just underscores the fact that they don't have an answer and apparently you do. It can alienate. But what communicates compassion is curiosity and questions because you're, you're leaning toward the person. You, you, you just want to know them. And so often, and I learned this lesson very early on in marriage, so often the answer is not to fix anything. It's just to let people know, to communicate to them, often through questions and curiosity, that they're not alone in the thing. And if they know they're not alone in the thing, they can endure the thing and they can figure out and find answers eventually for the thing. And so I would just, just encourage people to, to keep in mind the truth that if you want to communicate compassion, ask more questions than you offer answers. Because those are the people that you end up bringing to you. Like I remember going through something really difficult and I talked to a, a pastor friend and the pastor friend just started throwing answers at me. And I was immediately like, I like the guy, but I don't think, I don't think I'm going to talk to him about this. Yeah. This is not what I need. No, this is not what I need right now at all. Maybe later, maybe yeah. later when I'm in a different place, I can say, 
you know, give me some of those. But I want someone to say, how are you doing? Yep. What's going on with you? What do you need? Or like you said earlier, someone who would just be there. When I don't have anything to say, that person who just sits on the phone in awkward silence, there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Or, or even, or even like as you, as you feel the urge, the impulse to, to make a statement, to, to give an answer, to offer a perspective, to respect the person and their situation enough to ask for permission to offer that. So, so really starting that with a question to, and, and this is a, this is something that, that to, to really allow them to, to say, yes, I'm open to this. It gives them the chance to, to ready themselves to receive your encouragement, your, your answer, your, your perspective. And so what that, I mean, literally what that sounds like is you're, you're listening to somebody, they're, they're clearly wrestling with something difficult. They've got a big question. And you, as the, as the conversation allows, if you feel like you've got a, you know, a piece of a fact, a truth, a perspective to share with them, you, you just look at them and say, are, are you open to another perspective? I understand if right now this is about just venting what you're feeling. I'm here to listen to all of it. I have some thoughts. Are you open to another perspective? Would you like me to share those? And people, people will be honest with you. They'll, you know, especially if they're hurting, they'll be like, no, I don't need that right now. I just need you to listen. Great. Or they'll go, yeah, yeah, what do you got? And then humbly you share that. Or um, you, you say to them, you know, let me know when, when you're ready for um, for a dialogue about this versus, um, versus, versus a listening ear, because you, you might not be ready for a back and forth on this. And if you're not, I don't want to give that to you. I want to be what you need me to be right now. Are, are you ready for, for, for a dialogue? Would that be helpful for you? If, if we went back and forth on some things that could be true here and, and give people like respect people enough and their situation enough to just ask for permission to speak truth, ask for permission to offer a different perspective. And I find that when you give people when, when you give people that agency, they are even more receptive to it when you offer it because it's on their terms and they can welcome it. Matt, I love this because the listeners on the show know that I'm not a big fan of non-consensual advice. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of when people come up to you and say, you know what? Ah, no, 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 no. It's, there's a question of buy-in here. I'm not going to speak into someone's life unless I'm relationally bought in. And vice versa. And that buy-in can look differently. I understand that. But I love what you're saying here. One, that questions communicate compassion. And two, to ask for permission. Because I think when you ask for permission, you're honoring that person's autonomy. You're Mm -hmm. honoring that person and you're saying, I don't think you're an idiot, but maybe I have something to say. But that doesn't matter if you don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I've found sometimes just by listening, Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I got a lot of, I got a lot of ideas. I'll just sit there and listen and listen and listen for like 30 minutes. And then almost every time the person's like, yeah, dude, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then I do the old school Jesus method of answering it with a question. I will be like, well, what do you think you should do? What do you think is the right thing to do in this moment? And then at some point they'll be like, You've asked me like three questions. What do you think I should do? And I'm like, do you want, do you want to hear my advice? And they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll give them something. But by that point, the person's actually ready to listen. They want to hear it because they've been able to speak. And I think that is the important thing. 
one of my mm-hmm. past guests, Rabbi Joe Potasnik, who you may have met in, when we were all in New York City. Yeah. But Rabbi Joe always talks about how God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, that we should <laughs> listen twice as much as we speak. Yeah. And I think that's so important because that's such a just relational truth that we can hold to. And I love how in this conversation, as we started with this subject of how do we talk about difficult things? How do we make it simple? How do we make hard things relatable? How do we connect to people in their pain? What came out of the conversation was one, before anything, be present. Just be there. Be with the person who's going through something. Two, listen. Listen as they're speaking. Don't come with something already cocked and ready. Don't come with your solution, but allow for the solution to present itself. Then also, as we're being present, as we're listening, we're looking for the context. What are the pain points that we want to speak into? What are the pain points that we want to help that person focus on in their life? What's really going on? And then ask questions. Because when we do that, we communicate that it's not about us. It's not about being perfect. It's not about fitting in. It's not about having it all together. It's about being. That's right. It's about one vulnerable person being with another vulnerable person and walking with them as they try to sort out the human condition. And so as we end our time, Matt, what are two or three things that you could give us? Pieces, pieces of advice, maybe a challenge that we can take with us as we go throughout the rest of the day? You know, I, I would say that you should not shy away from opportunities to speak truth into lies, clarity into mm. confusion, good. peace into pain. But as you enter into those opportunities, understanding that God often calls us into those, into those opportunities in, in our family relationships, friend relationships, workplace relationships, right? As you step into those, step into those into those opportunities, seeking first to understand. And it will take longer for you to understand than it will for you to speak the truth to provide the peace, but seek first to understand and give yourself space and time to understand. And, and you might wonder, well, how, how, how do I know I understand enough so that it's now time for me to, to speak the truth, to bring the clarity, to, to offer the help that I think I'm, I'm, I'm called to offer? I, I would use this as the metric. Do you, do you understand their perspective, their question, their worry, their fear to such degree that as you articulate it back to them, they agree with it? And once you get to that point, then I would say you, you understand them enough that you're probably ready to start offering your own insight, comfort, and peace. So you're able to say to them, you know, as we've, as we've been talking, my, my sense is that your question is, this. This is the question you're really wrestling with. And then they look at you and go, yes, yes, that's the question. That's it. And then you go, they helped you get there. I mean, they did the work. That's right. That's right. And they've got, they've got ownership in your understanding of their problem. Right. And then, then you have the right to move into statements, truths, promises, and you know, the, the, all, all those all those declarative things you want to offer to them that you think are going to be helpful. But, but first, seek understanding. Affirm that you have understanding and then, and then move into, into trying to speak some peace. 
I think that's so important because, yeah, that's something that should be made clear that we do need to speak truth. Yeah. And because people want that at some level, people want truth. They want, they want clarity in the confusion, as you said. I think that is so important. And I know some people, they'll almost make it a virtue of not speaking truth. They'll say, well, I, all I do is listen. I'm like, that's good. But I think that's only part of what could happen here. Yeah. Like, we, we, you it's know, we, okay we, for you to share with someone. Yeah. Open minds are great things. But as the late, great Tim Keller said, you know, we, we open our minds so that they can eventually clamp down on something. So like, it's not, an open mind is not good for its own sake. We, we have open minds so that they might be able to eventually, they might be eventually latch on to something, the right thing, a good thing. So eventually you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stand for something, right? Well, it's a way more articulate way than one of my old mentors said, who used to say, we can be so open-minded that our brains will fall out. <laughs> right. But I really like Keller's take on it. So it's yeah. a little bit more clear. I yeah. like it. If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at mercycast.com. This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time. Have mercy on yourselves and each other.